0: listening to Without Precedent a podcast series hosted by Eli Edwards and Nikki Pope of Santa Clara University School of Law. We talk with inventors, lawyers, academics, judges, politicians about the impact of technology and innovation on the law and legal practice. Without Precedent is sponsored by the High Tech Law Institute at Santa Clara Law.
1: I'm Nikki Pope one of the co-hosts of Without Precedent.
0: And I'm Eli Edwards, the other (laughs) co-host.
1: On October 26, 2019, Without Precedent attended the Second Chances Empathy Hackathon, where teams of engineers and lawyers solve problems faced by organizations that help formerly incarcerated people. This is the second year that professors Colleen Chen. Laura Norris organized the event. The Hackathon is an all-day event with breakfast, lunch, and dinner provided by the event's sponsors. At the end of the problem-solving sessions, the participants reconvene together to watch a movie with a criminal justice story and discuss the movie's themes with the filmmakers. Meanwhile, the Hackathon judges pick the winning teams and after the movie screening and dinner, prizes are awarded.
2: (laughs) <laughs> All right everybody. It's great to see everybody here. Welcome to our second annual Second Chances and Empathy Hackathon. I'm Colleen Professor Chen. This is Laura Norris. We're super excited to be here today and hack Second Chances.
1: <laughs> Professor Laura Norris directs the Entrepreneurs Law Clinic and the Tech Edge JD program at Santa Clara Law. Eli caught up with her during a break at the hackathon.
0: Hi. Hi. I'm speaking with Laura Norris here at the uh, Santa Clara University Law School. She is a professor and the director of the Tech Edge program here, and she is one of the organizers of the hackathon that we had this weekend. And I wanted to ask you first, how did you get involved with the hackathon?
3: Um, it was really something uh, that was a joint effort between Professor Colleen Chan and I, Um, Colleen and I were trying to uh, coordinate on coming up with an activity that would um, address some of the issues regarding second chances relating to her research, but then also that would give an opportunity for our students to work together with techies. you know, and kind of be innovative. So, so she and I were brainstorming about different ways to do that, and had a bunch of things we're considering. But hackathon is something that we came upon. Okay. Miss to these issues with um, formerly incarcerated people and the issues that they have in, in thriving in today's society. So, I think um, you know that's one of the things we do is we try to hack empathy as well as just hack technological solutions. So, I think that is. Um, really uh, a benefit of this program and um, the uh, and, and it amazes me all the time to see how many of the groups stay until the end when we have a, a movie and a speaker um, and we really focus again on empathy so um, so I really think that is a successful part of this is that especially from the pure techie standpoint they're getting an opportunity to see what, what their, their tech skills can be used for and that they can be used for good. So that, that's very successful. And then secondly, um, I think it is an exciting way for our law students to see um, how they can really be innovative, even if they don't have um, hardcore tech skills.
0: What do you feel is needed to carry forth? the hackathon in terms of what kind of support would you need from the law school, from the university, from even the outside legal community here in the Bay Area, too?
3: Mm. Yeah, I think some things that we could, um, you know, number one, funding is, is, is necessary because, um, you know, most of the funding is actually around just food. We have a beautiful facility here and and um, use of the facility, luckily, is, is you know, there's not. Um, a lot of out-of-pocket charge with that but but obviously you know we we have to feed all these people and then some of the speakers um, we pay them stipends to, to get them to come here so if we had um, you know we have to find funding each year to be able to, to do this so obviously funding um, and getting sponsors like this last year we had EY as a sponsor it was really wonderful then for them to step up Mm-hmm. If we can find more sponsors for the next year, that helps. We get a lot of uh, positive, such positive feedback from the participants, and we had um, now over 70 participants in this hackathon, which, um, which I think is a good footprint. So um, that says to me that it's, and it's grown from last year, so that says to me that it's a positive um, event, and, um, you know, and it's got a good footprint uh, with, the, with the participants. Okay.
0: Thank you so much. Uh
3: Uh-huh. You're very welcome.
1: All right. Santa Clara law student Shereen Juan is one of the main student organizers of the Hackathon. She shares her insights about the event with Eli.
4: So this year I concentrated mostly on um, finding Projects and um, collaborating with nonprofits. So, I reached out to nonprofits um, that are within the Second Chances reentry space, asked them what challenges they have, so, um, established projects with them.
0: There are those who believe that a hackathon is too short of a period to solve really intractable problems. What do you think the value of having students work on this for 12 hours? is as opposed to making it a semester-long project?
4: Well, yeah, I mean, the criminal justice, there's we have a lot of problems in our criminal justice system. They're not going to get fixed in a day or a week or a semester or even a year, right? So the value this hackathon particular brings is a lot of these nonprofit organizations, even government agencies, like the Public Defender's Office is working with, they have projects that would help them in their day-to-day. But they don't have the budget to do it or they haven't had the man hour to dedicate to it. So. That's what our hackathon does, is it solves a very real problem that once it's resolved, it can be implemented right away.
0: What's the most rewarding experience you've had at a hackathon, whether this one or last year?
4: So last year, it was so surprising to me, right? Because like, you know, my boyfriend hears me talk about criminal justice, you know, reform all the time. He heard me do all the work for the expungement clinic last year. He hears me, you know, talk about this nonstop almost but like you know he I don't think he ever got actually truly understood it but when he came to the hackathon last year he got a chance to work on a project and then at night he saw um, the return movie and heard from one of the speakers um, one of the people who were in the movie was a feature speaker and that made such an impact on him I, and, he was, and he was committed to coming back this year like as soon as last year's hackathon was over so like all of my talking for like two years didn't get through to him but he came for one day and watched the movie and heard the talk and like, like he got it somehow. right? And like, I think that happened to a lot of um, the engineering students and the business law um, school students who haven't been exposed to um, the criminal justice world or the social justice world. That's a lot of the feedback we got from students after the event, was what an impact they felt they were making. Okay,
0: um, What support do you need from the broader community, whether the law school, the university, Legal community here in the area. What kind of support would you like to see in the future to keep this going?
4: We want to see um, just broader outreach. Like, we would like to get larger turnout, like just help the word spread. So you know, we have more um, techies here next year. We have more law students participating. Just uh, helping us get the word out, and then also uh, for organizations too, being able to work with organizations that have very like tangible projects that we can work on in one day.
2: Um, and so we're really lucky to have one of the changemakers that's really active in this area right here in our law school, Antonio Reza. And I want to read his full information experience because he's, we're not going to have time to talk about his entire life. But just think about, the, you know, the students in your midst, um, I was just really impressed by so much that I've read about him. So in 2012, Antonio Reza was released from jail, newly convicted of the charge of felon- felony secondary armed robbery and received a strike. Upon his release from prison, Antonio was determined not to become a statistic. Instead, he took his second chance and his opportunity and, ch- and turned his life around. In 2013, he enrolled at Ohlone College, where he was involved with the basketball team, student government, peer elected vice president of a club, and got inducted into the honor roll and earned student of the year. When it came to graduate, Antonio had earned three associate degrees, multiple certificates, and maintained a 4.0 GPA. He then transferred to the University of San Francisco and got a B.S. in Communication Studies. He continued to make the Dean's List and Honor Roll every single semester, volunteered, became president of a club, inducted into three Honor Rolls Society, and he was earned every single award offered by his department and he became valedictorian. So we are lucky to have him here now. at the first year at Santa Clara, where he's um, going through the first year curriculum. Um, he has n- just been named the first president and executive board member of the National Justice Impact Bar Association and executive board member of the California System Impacted Bar Association. Please join me in welcoming Antonio Reza. Hi,
5: everybody. I grew up in a rough neighborhood with an absentee father. My neighborhood was so rough that by the time I was 12 years old, I lost my first friend to gang violence about six blocks from my house. My neighborhood is so rough that out of my group of friends growing up, I was one third of which that got an equivalent to a high school diploma. And I was only one of two that earned a high school diploma and walked on time. Now one would think this is happily ever after, but it's not. See, the day after high school graduation, my mom caught me doing some things I shouldn't have been doing, and it resulted in me being homeless that summer. Due to the choices I had made as a preteen and teen, my mom consistently kicked me out of the house all throughout high school. But the day after high school graduation, that was the longest. I graduated in 2010, and between 2010 and 2011, I knew seven people that had died. Four were gang-related homicides, two was a murder-suicide. The last one jumped into a lake hit his head on a rock and bled out. None of these people were above the age of 21, and I was only 18 years old at the time. So I lost hope in myself and society. I mean, why invest in a four-year degree if you will not see it come to fruition? Why suffer now when no one is promised tomorrow? So when my friend pulled out a gun and said, I'm tired of being hungry and I'm tired of being homeless, I made a decision. The choices that followed caused a 19-year-old version of myself to be sitting in a jail cell facing multiple violent felonies and so much time in prison that I could have still been in prison today. That was back in 2011. When everything was said and done, I was convicted of a felony and I received a strike. I was convicted of one count of second-degree armed robbery. Upon release, I wanted to get back on my feet and rejoin society in a positive way and one of the ways I was going to do this was by going out and getting a job. But then there was, you know, that little box. Have you been convicted of a felony? In an attempt to turn over a new leaf, I decided I was going to be honest through and through, and that included checking this box. Every time that I checked that box, I did not get the job 100% of the time. So I decided to do a little science experiment. I want to see what would happen if I lied by not checking the box. Every time I lied and I didn't check that box, I got the job 100% of the time. This same box doesn't just appear for job applications. It's also for housing and for FAFSA. College is extremely expensive, and most people have to take out loans in order to go. So why then does this box of exclusion still prevail and present itself when trying to obtain a higher education? There's a direct link that shows the more education one obtains, the less likely they are to go to jail or prison. 75%. That is the average recidivism rate. 75%. Recidivism is defined as those who are incarcerated and get released will return back to jail or prison. We only have a 25 percent pass rate in our prison system and we look at that as it's a success. How can we even look at it like it's acceptable? See now, when I found out about this statistic, my oppositional defiance kicked in and I decided to make a leap in the exact opposite direction. I decided to enroll in a local community college. It was a lonely college. Now, whenever I do anything, I do it to the best of my abilities, which has been both horrible <laughs> and amazing. For example, during my first semester in college, I pulled down a 4.0 GPA. And I was like, who would have thought when you apply yourself in school, right? But I wasn't going to stop there. See, I got a second chance, and I wasn't going to waste one iota of an opportunity available for me. So I did everything human lo- humanly possible. I was on the basketball team, student government, VP of a club, I went to plays for the first time in my life, and I truly started to grow as a person, and find myself, and discover who I actually was. When it came time to graduate, I'd earned multiple associates degrees, certificates, and scholarships. And I'd earned, yeah. (laughs) Um, When I walked across that stage, I would kept that 4.0 GPA still intact. But now it's time to transfer because my oppositional defiance said I was still not done. But then there it was again, that little box. Have you been convicted of a felony? Can you imagine the stress and the pressure that I was under? Because not only am I worried about the normal things I should have been worried about, like are my grades good enough? Is my extracurriculars good enough? Is my personal statement good enough? Am I good enough? Now I have to write an extra essay and I have to check this box. and I have to hope that this college will still say that I am worthy based on what I did so many years ago. Fortunately, this door didn't close for me, and I transferred to the University of San Francisco, where I majored in communication studies, and I had two minors. One was legal studies, the other was sociology. It was at USF that I wanted to keep a low profile, because I know the negative stigma that comes along with having a record, especially when it's accompanied by the label of felon. But on day one, in my first class criminology, my professor announces we'll be doing a tour of San Quentin. So if you have something that might come up on a background check, you need to talk to her. And I'm like, this is not how I want to start my journey here at USF. I can't even be a normal student and go on a field trip without this box still being there. So at the end of class, I walk up to my professor and I say that um, I'm still on probation, and that's not for a little crime. See, what she did next surprised me. She accepted me. She treated me like I was a normal person, just a regular student. And that meant the world to me because she didn't look at me like I was some monster. Towards the end of our conversation, she asked me, do you have someone who could speak on your behalf? I was like, well, I think I got a guy, and that is Detective Michael Gebhardt. He was the man assigned to my case, and he told me he wanted to be a resource to me when I got out. So here I am in this predicament, and I want to see if he would truly be a resource to me as he claimed he would. I got a hold of him, and essentially, he wrote me a permission slip saying, yes, Antonio can go to San Quentin and leave the same day.
0: <laughs>
5: and I did. I got my security clearance like a week before the semester was done, and I went. And I'm glad I left the same day. but. Um, <laughs> You know, it was at USF that I truly started to dive deep on researching how communication patterns are impacted due to incarceration. And my research papers even started to win awards around campus and get real recognition. So much so that my university even flew me out to a conference so that I could present some of my primary research to other professors, graduate students, and other undergraduate students. It was at USF that I started volunteering at a halfway house, became president of a club, got inducted into three different honor roll societies, and continued to make Dean's List honor roll every single semester. And when I graduated in 2018, I did so as valid Victorian. Thank you. When I found out the news that I was going to be valid Victorian, I called up my friend, Detective Gebhardt, because we had maintained communication throughout the years. And he was ecstatic. Matter of fact, I think he was happier about it than I was. And he was like, I got to go. I want to be at your graduation. And I was like, I only got four tickets. And I come from a Latino family, so you know that's not enough
0: tickets.
5: (laughs) Fortunately, however, I was able to obtain some extra tickets, and I was able to get him one. When I hand-delivered him the ticket, because those are like gold, uh, we started catching up. And, you know, we were just talking about life and what it was like, and one of the things that came up was he asked me the process which I had to go through to earn Val Victorian, and I explained it. I told him that the last step in this process was that I had to do a panel interview, and he was like, oh man, were you nervous? What was that like? And I stopped him, I said, hey, hold up, hold up, hold up. After being interviewed by you for over four hours straight, I've killed every interview since. (laughs) (laughs) And we laughed so hard in that building, and that's truly a moment that I'm gonna cherish for the rest of my life, because here we were two people enjoying each other's company. And we had met in that exact same building so many years prior under extremely different circumstances. Eventually, I went on my way. I went to the movies, he went back to work, and when I got out of the movies, I noticed I had a few missed calls from him and a couple of voicemails asking me to call him back, so I did. I called him up and he says, hey, I'm working on a cold case homicide. I'll call you back in 30 minutes. I'm like, okay. Well. Three hours later, my anxiety's through the roof because the detective just told me we need to talk. Fuck. So, <laughs> eventually he called me back and he says, What are you doing on Monday? And I'm like, Uh, school. And he says, All right, well, what are you doing on Tuesday? And I'm like, I got class, man. And he says, All right, well, I talked to the DA about you and all your progress that you made, and the DA did what he needed to do, and we're gonna reduce your record. And I was like, What? He says, yeah, that's why I asked you, what are you doing on Monday or Tuesday? That way we can go to court and we can finalize it. I was like, man, forget Tuesday's class. I'm about to be in court. <laughs> well, Tuesday rolled around and I'm on my way out the door and I get a call from him and he says, hey, remember, it's court. You got to dress up nice. I said, hey, remember, I've been in court before with you, you know? <laughs> and he says, do you mind if there's going to be some new supporters there? I said, no, nah, I don't care. He says, good, they're already on the way. I'm like, thanks, Mike. I would have shaved, put on a belt, maybe got a haircut, but whatever. I knew it was going to be a good day. When I got to court, I didn't realize that they had done a two-step process. The first step was they had taken my felony and they reduced it to a misdemeanor and they would expunged the strike off my record. The second step surprised me that much more because they then took that misdemeanor and they expunged that off my record as well. So as of November 27th of 2018, I no longer have a criminal record. Now you would think that's enough, right? Like I've exceeded all expectations. Let's call it a day. Let's relax, crack a beer, hang out, right? But no. See, my oppositional defiance said I was still not done. I had seen firsthand how the legal system has some flaws and I accidentally became an advocate for formerly incarcerated people. I know that the best ways to create change that I'm advocating for is by going into law. So I did just that. I applied to 21 different law schools around the nation some of which were the best law schools around the nation. I got rejected from six schools. Yeah, it happens. But I also got accepted into some of the best law schools in the nation, with scholarships amounting to over half a million dollars. I am proud and honored to say that I'm attending Santa Clara University School of Law. You see, I didn't get this far just to get this far. I still have a long way to go. But I'm slowly starting to become proud of who I am, and I'm beginning to be happy with the man I am today. It wasn't an easy transformation or even one that happened overnight. But i slowly turned my felonies into 4.0s. Thank you.
1: one of the hackathon teams was focused on organizing criminal sentencing data to determine whether a formerly incarcerated person is eligible for record expungement when a person's record can be deleted it is called expungement because it is difficult for a person with a record to get work or housing expungement can help them re-enter society after they have served their time eli spoke with oswaldo an engineering student who is using string parsing to analyze sentencing data.
0: And um, what made you get interested in Second Chances? Uh, my biggest interest was being able to work on something technical,
6: because it, it's something I really care about, and just the opportunity to write another program is really stuck to me. And also the mission of the Second Chances team to help provide um, people with Previous and so records and a chance at a better yeah. life just really interests in me, so I thought it would be a great way to combine yeah. my interests and my desire to yeah. help out the community in need. So you're
0: working on the string parsing project? That is that's it. correct. So, for people who are not very technical, what is string parsing and what are what are the strings you're parsing?
6: Sure, so a string is basically a sentence uh, that's stored in a computer program or database and parsing means that you are taking that sentence and breaking it up into parts for some reason. Uh, The reason for us being that uh, these sentences are actually criminal uh, record data and we have a large data set of it from California courts so from every jurisdiction and because of that there's a lot of inconsistencies with the data in itself so when you look at it as a whole you can't really evaluate it as a whole because it doesn't make sense so the whole point of this is to break up those sentences in a way that makes sense to so someone who yeah. is not technical and couldn't otherwise break it up on themselves because it is a very challenging test. Yeah.
0: Okay. So what is the input per se? Are we talking like just a large file of sentences or are we talking about your text or a spreadsheet with columns?
6: Or so the input is is actually, yeah, it's just a huge spreadsheet that has all of these um, columns of uh, text, of sentences. One of the, the one that we particularly care about is the criminal um, uh, the criminal sentence that was uh, given to someone. So um, we are taking all of those sentences, putting it into a spreadsheet, and then uh, working it on it from there.
0: Okay. And what is the planned output? So the plan
6: is to actually create a spreadsheet that any non-technical person can just pick up, insert data into, and then have it automatically populate, like, organized data for them. Okay. So they don't need to run program in any particular environment, they can just open up an Excel sheet, throw in a bunch of data, and have it cleaned up.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Um, what has been the most rewarding part for you of either the hackathon or the project in general?
6: In general, just being able to approach this difficult task because I enjoy being able to pick out really challenging problems like this. Um, but what I what I appreciate about it most is that it will ultimately go to health people. It's for so it's not just some recreational programming task. It's it's actually doing some good, so.
1: Okay. A the Second Chance's Empathy Hackathon invites engineers and lawyers to participate on problem-solving teams. They also invite organizations that work with formerly incarcerated people to submit problems for teams to tackle in the October 2020 Hackathon. Organizers of the Second Chances Empathy Hackathon are looking for sponsors to underwrite the cost of meals for the teams and prizes for the winning teams. For more information, send an email to empathyhack at scu.edu. That's E-M-P-A-T-H-Y-H-A-C-K, empathyhack, at scu.edu. You have been listening to Without Precedent, a podcast series that considers the impact of technology and innovation on the law and legal practice. Our music was composed by Nicole Jacobus. Our editors are Nicole Jacobus and Asta Chawla. Our audio engineer is Fern Silva of the Santa Clara University Communication Department. The views expressed in Without Precedent are the views of the participants and do not reflect the views of the High Tech Law Institute, Santa Clara Law, or Santa Clara University. To learn more about Without Precedent, visit our website, law.scu.edu slash without precedent.